TGIM, Timari. This is episode 310. Just by tweaking your thought patterns just a little bit. I mean, it makes a huge difference if you keep doing it daily. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Sasha. She took her last drink on May 19th, 2019, and she is from New Jersey. And just as a quick reminder, I don't know how many of you picked up meditation with this new year, new resolutions, new intentions, but on the homepage of recoveryelevator.com, there are free guided meditations to help you get grounded and find inner calm. To access these meditations, head over to our website, recoveryelevator.com, enter your email address in the pop-up box that appears on your screen, and once you do so, you'll get an email with instant access to these meditations created by Paul Churchill. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. So I have this interesting reminder system. I know most phones have a reminder feature, but for some reason, my reminder feature just doesn't do the trick for me. So I started doing this thing, and when I don't want to forget something, what works for me is opening up my email on my phone, and I email myself. That way, there's going to be an unread email from me to me waiting with a pending task or thing that I don't want to forget to do. Anyway, I didn't just tell you this random fact about myself for nothing. I went to my email a few days ago, and I saw an email that I had sent myself that said, positive relationships. This was the subject line. So I clicked it open and in the body of the message laid one sentence that read, the biggest factor for cultivating resilience. Okay, so positive relationships are the biggest factor for cultivating resilience. I thought about the show. I thought about sobriety and how it's safe to say that we need resilience when we are embarking on this journey, right? So I was glad that I emailed this to myself and it's something that I want to unpack. But before I do so, let me tell you that when I read this email, I was wondering, where did I hear that? What profound book or podcast was it this time? I hadn't written the author on the email, so I went ahead and opened up an internet browser, opened up Google, and I typed in the search bar, the sentence, right? The sentence that I had emailed myself, which was, positive relationships are the biggest factor for cultivating resilience. Really quickly, after 0.02 seconds, my search was over. And ladies and gentlemen, damas y caballeros, the source was season 17 of Grey's Anatomy. Boom. Thank you very much, Shonda Rhimes. Any other Grey's Anatomy fans out here? I mean, there has to be a handful, right? Case in point, I'm not a guru or someone you need to put on a pedestal. I spend most Friday nights laying on the couch, watching the latest episode of Grey's Anatomy while eating Thai curry from our favorite San Diego hole in the wall. The point is true, though. We need resilience, not just for this journey, but for all of the obstacles that life throws at us. As you guys know, I have kids and I think about these things. How do I raise children that will keep trying when faced with a problem? How do I show them grit and confidence? So I read on in my Google search 
And after Grey's Anatomy popped up, there was an excerpt from an article by Harvard University Center on the Developing Child. It said, The single most common factor for children who develop resilience is at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive parent, caregiver, or other adult. This combination of supportive relationships, adaptive skill building, and positive experiences is a foundation of resilience. Jackpot. I was happy to see my time watching Grey's is not in vain because this is it, team. This is the reason why we keep pushing community when addressing quitting drinking. Our journeys are far from perfect. We fall and we need to have the strength and courage to get back up. And how needed is to know that in having positive relationships around us, we basically are creating a backup tank of energy. This is why together is better. This is why even if you're not ready to tell the world that you're not drinking, just having at least one person that you can share this decision with can make such a big difference for you. If you're out there listening to this and doing field research in this cycle of day ones and having a hard time getting back on the sober saddle, remember to ask yourself different questions. How many positive relationships do you have at hand? Are you fostering these relationships? Sometimes tools in our tool belt aren't that obvious. It's not all about how to get through a craving or how to make mocktails. It's about deep-rooted human behaviors that can give us connection. All right, eso es todo. That's it for my intro today. And before we hear from Sasha, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe Ari almost immediately after I found it and was so surprised at the amount of grace support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things that I realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that truly understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across some bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of our monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use a promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use a promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you all there. Sasha, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm really happy that we're chatting today. Yes, me too. <laughs> and let's get right to it. Can you let me know when the last time you had a drink was? So the last day that I had a drink was May 19th, 2019. So my sobriety date is technically May 20th. You've gone over the year mark during the hardest times. So I hope you're very I proud did. of yourself. <laughs> oh, I'm thrilled. It's, it's been great. 
And can you give listeners a little background about yourself? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? Sure. So I'm from New Jersey. I work in IT. I live with my fiance and my dog. For fun, I, I read a lot. I do jigsaw puzzles. I've been getting really into meditating. And I'm also a fan. I recently started collecting old books, so specifically published before the 1900s. So I like to just roam around estate sales and various antique shops. So that's been, a, I guess, the newest hobby. I love it. That sounds awesome. Do you use any specific apps for meditation? Yes, actually. I use Sam Harris's Waking Up course. I've been using it for about a year. Uh, for a while, I was doing it every single day. Then I dropped off. And I recently started back up again about, I would say, three months ago. And it's been fantastic. I recommend it to everyone. Waking Up course. I've heard about Sam Harris and his meditation. Is it guided meditation? Tell me a little bit more. I'm interested. We've gotten a lot of questions on meditation. Yeah. So I've tried a lot of meditation apps in the past. Like um, I think Headspace is one, Calm was another one, and they didn't really work for me, even though I really wanted to do it. The way that Sam Harris's course is, it's uh, it's get, it's I guess it's like a 30-day program. So the idea is you do it every single day. It's kind of a guided meditation. And he also has, like his app is very uh, expan- expansive. So it's um, there's a lot of theory, which kind of ties everything in together. And it's presented in a way that makes it a lot more, at least for me personally, interesting and kind of understandable. So I was able to kind of get the core concepts a little more from his app than the other apps that I've tried. Thanks for letting me know. I'm going to make sure that Kate drops the website to sign up on the show notes because like I said, we've gotten a lot of questions. I really like Insight Timer, but I feel like there's so many meditations and so many people on there to follow that it's a little bit hard to navigate it if you're just trying to get started or get get into the routine. So thanks for bringing this up. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, his is great because again, they're um, they're usually under 10 minutes, so it's not, not too much and he makes it very interesting. So there's a lot of times where I would meditate in the past, I would become very judgmental of the fact that I can't seem to, you know, stop my brain from working. And with his course, it's very, very organic. You know, he stresses the fact that you have to just be accepting of it and it's normal and it's okay. It's just arising in consciousness. That's one of the things that you're going to see appear is thoughts. So just being able to observe that and kind of, you know, be present has been fantastic. Thank you. I'm going to check it out. And I feel like you are not alone when you say that you can't shut your brain off. I hear you loud and clear. (laughs) (laughs) Sasha, let us know a little bit about your background on your history with drinking. When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol wasn't serving your goals? And when did you start on this journey with us? So I started drinking fairly, not like fairly late, but um, I would say around 18. It was near the end of my freshman year of college. And it was never really something I did intensely, even though from the moment I took my first drink, as many have said before me, you know, there was this immediate feeling of, oh, okay, this is this is going to make me my true self. So I've always struggled with depression and anxiety, especially in social situations. So drinking just allowed me to completely overcome that and be the life of the party. And so I probably started drinking more intensely around my 20s. So when I was 20 years old, I got my first DUI. I used to go out a lot with my friends from uh, from work. And at the time I was a server. So it became very commonplace to just, you know, after your shift is over to just go out and grab a couple of drinks. Then it got really bad for me when I was around 22, 23. I probably realized I have a problem before then. Um, around 21 was when I started drinking alone. 
there was a liquor store next to the restaurant I used to work at, and it sold all sorts of um, like these craft ales with like blueberries and such. So I would just grab a couple of those and just drink alone at home because it made me feel good. And I was uh, struggling with what I was doing in life and where I was going. And eventually, by the time I was 23 uh, and 24, when I was when I quit, it would get to the point where every single time I would drink, I would just be like crying and unhappy how much, you know, like making notes about how much I hate drinking, how, uh, you know, how much it's impacting my life, how much I truly just don't enjoy this anymore, but I feel like I can't stop. And a lot of my thoughts were preoccupied with, you know, <clears throat> like where, when I could get another drink, you know, if anybody else was drinking, how do I make it so that people don't see how much I drink? You know, it, it got to be a little bit uh, intense. Yeah, I don't bring up this word on here often, but I use it when I share my story a lot. And it's the obsession with the thoughts. I don't know if you would categorize what was happening in your brain as an obsession. But I, in my own experience, it's like, if I'm spending more time in my head and trying to figure out this formula of when am I going to have the next one? And like all of these logistics around alcohol were up in my head. And that's when I was like, oh, this is a huge red flag. Like I'm spending so much time up here obsessing over it, even though from the outside, it appeared like I was okay. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it was nonstop. I mean, even, you know, when I wasn't drinking, it would be trying to see like, all right, like, could I drink tonight? I mean, how do I get rid of the evidence, if you will? Like, can I manage to act sober enough um, if it's going out with people? I mean, it's always watching other people's drinks and seeing how much they're drinking, whether it's okay for me to drink more. You know, it's it was exhausting. So you said your first DUI or your I don't know if you had more than one. My only. I should probably say my <laughs> <Yeah>. only DUI. <laughs> your, that was on me. Sorry. Your only DUI was at 20. Was okay. Did did getting that DUI make you think anything of it? Or or was it just like, oh, I'm I'm young. Young people sometimes get DUIs. It's just normal. I think it was a combination of both. Because even at that point, I realized that, like, first of all, I had, even from when I began to drink, I had a very high tolerance. So I knew that I was doing it in a way that was definitely not normal per se. However, because I was so young, I figured, well, it's fine. You know, I was, this is my time to be a young person, if you will. I don't know. So I didn't place too much importance on it, despite the fact that it really should have been a very serious warning sign for me that I really did have a problem. But I continued to drink for four more years afterwards. A lot of the times, and the reason I asked is a lot of those quote unquote red flags I mean, our brain is so smart and we'll just dismiss it. And, you know, we just justify it and keep going or think, like I said, especially for you being so young when this happened, it's like, oh, this is a rite of passage. It happens to, it could happen to anybody. It's it's fine. And that's why I ask because I do feel like social norms allow us to kind of justify if it does happen at a young age. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely would agree. So that um, made it easier for me to kind of dismiss it. At the time, too, you know, I was, I really was running from kind of my thoughts in my head. So um, it just made it easier to just not think about it. So in a way, I even, I didn't slow down my drinking at that point. I just thought that, you know, it was, I deserved to uh, get caught. I mean, at the time, I, I, I crashed my car, so nobody was hurt. But it, it didn't really hit me that this was a sign of a larger problem. Did you have an instance where it, where it hit you or did you have any like rock bottom moments for the next four years? Like you mentioned, you kept drinking. 
I would say that that was pretty that was pretty bad um, in terms of like legal aspects and everything else in terms of the outside. Rock bottom for me was probably around 23, 24, just when I was drinking alone and just how miserable and unhappy I was. And it was just amplified by the drinking. So it was just a realization that I, I hated this, but I couldn't seem to get out of it. So that was a very hard time. But even so, still, I couldn't really use that to propel myself out of drinking. So how did you get yourself out of the cycle? Uh, you know what? It's actually that's a really good question. So I was listening to this podcast uh, a lot around when I, I quit. So probably for the course of about five or so months, I was listening to at least a an episode a day. Usually it was about two or three episodes. I would just go through every single one of them. And at the same time, I was I started reading Eckhart Tolle and uh, I was doing that waking up course with Sam Harris. And I just had a realization that I've had a drinking problem because th there was still this kind of disconnect in my mind about the fact that I, you know, I wasn't sure if I was really an alcoholic per se, or if I was just overdoing it kind of, you know what I mean? I don't know if it makes sense. But once I realized that I had a serious problem and that I couldn't control it and that I was relating to pretty much everybody that was on this podcast, it made it very easy to just kind of, something just clicked. And on May 19th, I had my last drink, I was very, very drunk. On May 20th, I woke up and I was so miserable. I sat my uh, my fiance down now and told him that I just, I couldn't keep doing this anymore. And again, because of that, like that switch, I just, I haven't really had a lot of cravings since then, because even if I go out to, you know, drink with friends, um, not drink with friends, but I go out to like a bar with friends who are drinking, I don't feel the desire to drink because I understood the fact that if I have one, I'm not going to be satisfied. And my end goal is to be drunk. Mm -hmm. And because I know what it's like to wake up the next day, and because I know how I'm going to feel as soon as I start getting drunk, that panic and that anxiety, that shame, the guilt, like all of that would be so heavy that I just, I never had a problem with that afterwards. So I mean, not, not never, but um, very rarely. Tell me about, you said you were listening to the podcast before you stopped drinking. So how did you stumble with the podcast? For me, I found myself Googling recovery for alcohol on my podcast app. But what, was that experience similar to you? Was this podcast kind of like the first exposure to stories that are similar to your own? Um, well, actually, after I got that DUI, um, I did have to attend mandatory AA meetings. Mm -hmm. So I was aware of AA and you know, sitting in those groups, I never really got much out of the higher power aspect of things or the, the 12 steps. However, I loved hearing people talk about what they were going through because despite people being in very different stages of their lives, I mean, usually it's in AA, it was a lot of older men, at least the groups that I went to. Um, I realized that I could fully identify with what they were saying. So this podcast wasn't my first exposure to that, but I did stumble across it because of me searching, you know, like how to stop drinking or uh, like sober podcasts. Because at the time I was listening to a lot of, you know, self-help podcasts about meditation. And I figured, well, there must be some kind of, you know, category for people who are trying to get sober. So I was lucky enough to stumble upon the recovery elevator was one of the first first ones. I do feel like with all due respect, because you did it and I did it as well, is that I, I I forget who I heard this from, but I heard something along the lines of like, if you find yourself Googling phrases like this, that in, it, <laughs> yes. that in itself is like 
more of an emotional rock bottom or more of a wake up call or whatever words we want to use. But it's like when you have to resort to Dr. Google, who nobody nobody (laughs) trusts but then there there we are there we put ourselves then it's it's a great indicator and and i'm grateful for sure that i googled those words and then i found this podcast because i mean never in a million years did i thought that i'd be on this side of the microphone now but that's Mm -hmm. the that's what happened to me as well and i'm really glad that you like advocated for yourself and kept like listening to your inner voice because i think for a lot of people who may have a problem with alcohol, I know that getting a DUI, you have to go to AA meetings. And because a lot of people, this is a total blanket statement, but if you don't relate to AA, then you immediately shut down and you're like, nope, like I'm not one of them. And you just continue to justify for years and years. And I think that you stayed curious or that's what it sounds like to me. And I think that's that's in a way like advocating for yourself and practicing like honesty. You did mention Eckhart Tolle, and I am extremely biased to his work. I love him (laughs) so much. And I had the privilege of watching him speak uh, with a group of people from Recovery Elevator with Paul. We we went to Pasadena. It was we celebrated Paul's birthday. I think it was last year, 2019. I don't even know where like this time thing with COVID has like totally blurred oh, my yeah. my no, timeline <laughs> yeah. it was, was it was last year and hearing hearing him speak live was was amazing and it was a bucket list item so i'm just curious oh, what God, yeah. what book were you talking about that you started reading oh so um i started reading the power of now i'm still get, getting through it like i'm i read it very slowly kind of section by section if you will like a chapter um at a time my Introduction to Eckhart Tolle was actually through the podcast itself. Mm. So when I started listening, um, it was before you were hosting it, I think. Actually, I know this. <laughs> so Paul would have uh, these like little segments where he would kind of like you, like you have now the, the you know the typical podcast was the same. So the beginning was like ten minutes or so was for this like thought or an idea that uh, held some weight uh, or helped recovery in some way, and then the uh, the next 40, 45 minutes were the um, the interview. And I heard him mention Eckhart Tolle uh, a lot of times. And the the things that he was saying, I forget exactly, you know, the exact things that stuck with me. But um, in conjunction with the meditation practice that I was trying to do, it just, that's what really clicked. It was this realization that I don't kind of have to go through this alone, that it wasn't, I just had to step out of my mind almost, that my sense of self is separate from all the thoughts and all the ideas that I have of myself, which I never really realized. And so reading The Power of Now just cements these ideas even more. The main concept that I think is really helpful, because all of these spiritual teachers actually talk about addiction at some point or the other, uh, either Pema Chodra and Eckhart Tolle, and how it's this attachment to not only our thoughts, but this attachment to the past or the future. So The Power of Now, obviously focusing on the present moment and the 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 big idea I think that a lot of people take away from Eckhart Tolle is you're not your thoughts. And a lot of the time when we're struggling with addiction or an attachment to a substance or even an attachment to a person or a place, it's this idea that we have to believe everything that we think and that we are all of our thoughts. And it's really cool to learn from these spiritual mentors that, that know that that we're the awareness behind everything that's happening, like behind, behind, behind the scenes. Right, right. That's yeah. where we are. And it's really cool when you, when everything just clicks. It, it really, really is. It's this feeling of like, 
kind of a piece, I guess. And I mean, I'm not fully there. I mean, I'm not, you know, to the point where I can kind of, you know, disconnect from this uh, sense of self that I've developed over the last 25 years. But, you know, just starting to realize that and that initial moment, as you said, when it clicks, it's just this, uh, it's incredible. I mean, it's, uh, it's a relief, you know, because you realize that all these things like swirling through your head, all the anxieties and all these feelings, like it's patterns of behavior that you've kind of, you know, developed throughout your life. It's not, it's not you, right? Like you don't need anything to become your true self. You know, you're, you're there. So, but um, another book that I read around the same time was In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And that's a book that also covers some of these same themes along with uh, the ideas behind addiction. And that also really helped at that time. So I think it was just a combination of all, all of these three things that, uh, you know, helped me kind of get out of the hole I was in. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And you did mention that on May 20th, you sat your fiance down and you told him what was going on. So I'm just curious, because that's very brave to, as Paul says, burn the ships and open up about it and, and yeah, yeah, add yeah. a level of accountability and add a level of support. And just mm-hmm. basically, I think also in sharing comes shredding a lot of shame because our secrets like weigh us down. So I'm just curious. Were you having conversations with him prior to this day about your relationship with alcohol or did you just wake up and you're like, you know what, I'm done drinking? You know, I would always minimize it because not just to him, it was to myself. So we never really had any very upfront conversations along those lines. But again, it's not like, you know, when you live with somebody, I mean, they know. So I remember when I I sat him down, you know, I was I was very emotional I was crying. I'm like, you know, I, I got to tell you something. I need you to sit. And, you know, he was very concerned. I finally came out with, you know, I, I think I have a drinking problem. And he looked at me and he was like, yeah, well, babe, like I, I've known this since the first time that you, me and one of our friends hung out and you drank us both under the table. Like, you know, that was, <laughs> this isn't news, you know. Um, but he was just very very supportive. There was not like an ounce of judgment or anything like that. You know, we had com- we had more conversations about this. We still do moving forward because again, one of the biggest things that I got from the podcast was that it's it's really really important to be honest with both yourself and the people around you. So you can't really it's very hard to kind of, you know, to go through recovery and to stop drinking without admitting to at least one person of this burden that you've been carrying. And to have them with you. And, you know, again, the accountability is also huge. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if, I would say that uh, to answer your question, uh, we didn't really have a lot of conversations about it before. But since that day, we've definitely talked about it a lot more. Did you feel relief when you told him? Oh, my God. Tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> because, I, you know, that's the one thing that, you know, when you're hiding something that big, it's all of that guilt and the shame and it's if you feel like you're holding back a part of yourself from a person that you're supposed to be really sharing everything with and it's very isolating and it's very lonely and i feel like in a way it almost pushes you to continue you know abusing whatever substance it is that you're abusing to kind of get rid of these feelings so it was a huge feeling of relief and just it felt so great to be supported and to be understood and uh you know again i i I really lucked out with my fiance because he's a wonderful person. So he was very accepting. There was no, you know, judgment or anger. It was, you know, so what are we going to do moving forward kind of thing. Thank you for sharing this. I think it's a, a vulnerable share because I think for a lot of us, that is the hardest part in general as humans. Like we do not want other people to see 
the dark parts of us that we all inevitably have and we all make mistakes and nobody's perfect. And I think that being able to feel supported and more importantly, loved and accepted in spite of our imperfections. Gosh, we all deserve that because we are all imperfect. And the fact that you had that immediately, but it had to start with your decision to share and your bravery. And I like, that's a, that's a really big deal. So I'm really glad that you opened up because that had to be so helpful and such an emotional relief. And just, I don't know, just thank you. It's a brave thing that you did. Yeah, of course. I mean, I would definitely recommend if, uh, you know, anybody is listening who is still drinking or who is kind of having these thoughts of, I want to share this, but I'm afraid of the person's reaction. I mean, I would highly recommend to just share it because again, taking that off, that burden off of yourself is just, it's such a relief and it's so much easier to live kind of a life that's honest without secrets and without like the seed and without all this again that 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 guilt and that shame will just completely drag you down it's such a hard state to be in yeah i mean it's uh i remember um shortly after i had this conversation with brian i was driving home from a friend's house and it was probably around 6 p.m and it was this beautiful like back roads you know the sun was setting um it was the summertime or i guess it was yeah the summer And um, I just started crying because I was so relieved that I could be doing this. Like I wasn't stuck at home, you know, drunk, unable to drive or, you know, thinking about all these things that I could be doing. Like I was just, I visited my friend. I came back home. I was enjoying this gorgeous day. And I never had that ability to do that before. It was like, again, like my life was given to me again. It was, it was great. What a nice, like aha moment in your journey, because it sounds like you were able to Like we talk about gratitude so much, but sometimes it's hard to just like these concepts, gratitude, surrender, acceptance, like sometimes it's hard to actually understand what they mean, yet alone what they feel like. But this sounds like you were able to be in the moment and feel gratitude, like actually feel it in your body. And that overwhelmed you. And that's so nice. Yeah, Uh, it is right. Like, it's so great. I would say that gratitude is probably like one of the best states you can possibly be, be in just by practicing gratitude. And that's what I started to do before I quit drinking. Um, I, I had started incorporating this, you know, they say like, you know, write five things you're grateful for and then look at them every morning. And, then, you know, at the end of the day, write down what you're grateful for of the day. So just by doing that and by focusing on that, it really helped kind of shift my mindset, which I think also contributed to me quitting drinking because, when you're filled with this sense of gratitude and just wonder and like happiness for the life that you have, you don't want to go back to drinking, you know, because at least for me personally, I was in such a bad place where there was just, you know, no hope and everything was kind of gray and bleak. And, you know, so so to have that kind of contrast, it, it was it was amazing. So I would definitely say that if anybody, again, is listening, they should try to practice gratitude. I initially dismissed that the first time I read it or heard it. I forget exactly where it was, but it's such a powerful tool. Yeah, it's a very strong tool. And it it basically gives you another shot. It's like you just put on this other pair of sunglasses and you get to see life differently. Yeah. And I know it sounds super cheesy, but it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's so true. And it's great when you get to experience just daily ordinary moments. And because often we think that fulfillment and happiness are going to come from the big moments or the achievements. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I think it's really about these ordinary moments that we have in life, because that's what adds up to our life. And just being able to be enjoying that, I think, is fulfillment, in my opinion, and just 
enjoying and making the best of every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's I think that's why the book The Power of Now is so so powerful because again, you you, you make that realization, you have that realization of the fact that, you know, every single moment that you're in has something that, you know, it's just great to be fully present uh, and not, uh, you know, thinking about your next drink or, you know, this thing in the future or this thing in the past. I mean, it's, it's very, again, it's very freeing. You know, you free up a lot of your emotions and a lot of your mental, uh, mental space. Tell me, Sasha, what happened after you had your conversation with your fiance and you decided, I'm not going to drink anymore. How were the next couple of weeks for you after you made that decision? How did you get through that period? Honestly, I I would say, again, like it was it was almost like a switch had flipped. So for me, you know, they say that the pink cloud of sobriety lasts about like three months or so. I mean, mine lasted for about six months. I was just so happy to be free. And it also helped that a lot of things started falling into place for me. So I got a promotion at work and we ended up getting a dog shortly after, which has been also fantastic because if you ever want to be in the moment, just watch a dog and watch how they interact with the world because every single moment for them is so exciting, you know, and just things just kept on getting better. So like, I, I felt like I was connecting with myself and, you know, not to sound new agey, but I felt like I was taking the right steps because it seemed like everything around me was falling into place. Like I reconnected with several old friends. We were able to, you know, you know, pick up from where we left off, essentially. It's just all of these small things that kept getting, you know, better and better. So it was hard for me at the time to really even think back on drinking because just my life just got significantly better. My relationship with my um, fiance improved tremendously because, again, it was this matter of being honest and upfront about, uh, you know, my flaws and my feelings, which I was never good at. But it felt, again, you know, very relieving to do. So, yeah. And I would say that about eight months after I quit, I had a craving. It was we were at a farmer's market and I had I saw some um, I think it was some hard cider that the farm made. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we just, you know, just got a couple of bottles of those, you know, got drunk and then just had a good night. But one of the biggest tools, I think, for me was always, you know, playing it forward is that realization that, again, the next day was going to suck. You know, I have come so far in my life and I've been so happy with what I've been given as a result of not drinking that to just give it all away for something that made me so unhappy for such a long time, it seemed silly, almost, you know. Yeah, I'm really glad you bring that up because I feel like one of the tools that is mostly shared on here is mm -hmm. play the tape forward. And I think it is definitely one of the most successful tools and simple and free. And it's just available to everyone always because yeah. we can all play the tape forward. However, in order to be able to understand, I think what play the tape forward, like what the power of play the tape forward is, is you have to have like this gap in your mind between mm -hmm. you being at the farmer's market and what happens a lot of the times is when we're so wired to just go with what we think and what we were talking about, we're not your, like, you're not your thoughts, but we're so wired to think and do as our thoughts come that if you don't have that gap in between thoughts, it's really hard to, okay, let me take a moment to play the tape forward. Like you actually do need that pause oh, yeah. and that stillness and slowing down. So I think I always like mentioning to people when they talk about like, just think of what's going to happen and just think of how bad you'll feel. It t works all the time, but only if you give yourself the time to think about that. Only if you make that right. gap. 
Yeah, because otherwise it's like a compulsion almost. You know, it, it's you can have the mindset of no, I don't want to do this, but if you can't, if you don't have the gap, you can't stop yourself. You just kind of keep moving forward without really giving yourself time to really think. You know, <laughs> at least that's the way it was for me. Yeah, and there's this uh, concept that we also talk about cognitive dissonance. Like even though your intention mm -hmm. is not to drink, the subconscious until you do enough rewiring, the subconscious will always beat the conscious. And oh yeah, and then you'll end up drinking again. And that's why I asked, like, how did you get out of a cycle? Because it is a cycle. But it sounds like you were starting on recognizing that awareness since before you even stopped drinking, which I think is a great add on to the tools. It's like start really getting to know yourself, start going inwards and start working on those pauses in between thoughts because you have yeah. that ability to create those buffers and then use your tools when you need them. So thanks for sharing. Exactly. That. Of course. Once you were done with your pink cloud, what what ended up happening when you started noticing that things were harder, like other than playing the tape forward, what, what other tools were useful for you when you noticed that that initial joy kind of dissipated for a little bit? You know, it's, it's kind of hard because, again, just because of the, the fact that, like, I've tried to quit drinking so many times uh, before, and it, it never panned out for me. So I can't really explain what exactly that switch was for me. But once I was able to do it, it, it really, it just made it a lot easier. So like right now, I don't really romanticize the idea of a drink. So, you know, I might have a very hard day. And the part of me that still deals with, um, you know, I still want to get away with from that, right? So I supplemented for a while with like with food. However, alcohol was never really even an option just because of the fact that, you know, I, I, I knew where it would take me kind of, right? So I didn't deal too much with cravings of, you know, oh, I'll be fine. You know, I'll just have one drink and it'll just for today because I just had this realization again that I, it's not going to be one drink. Like I'm going to end up exactly where I was. So that made it a lot easier for me to just say no to that. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but I haven't really had that, you know, really strong, like white knuckle cravings mm -hmm. uh, since then. I mean, I've had them in the past and I wasn't able to uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, I tried playing it forward. You know, I tried all sorts of things. I tried distracting myself. I gave myself 20 minutes, but it none of it worked for me up until I had this the most recent time that I tried to quit. And since then, I just haven't had that like white knuckle feeling. That's a great sign. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I would say just that, again, just the realization for me that I just I can't I can't do it because I'm just I'm literally going to end up in the exact same place. And with that realization of everything that I've gotten with uh, a life of sobriety, I just don't want to lose that. I mean, I I love my life right now. I feel so much more comfortable with myself. My anxiety has almost disappeared. It's been wonderful. I've reconnected with a lot of people. You know, I have so much uh you know much better relationships now like I just don't want to lose that so I guess keeping that in mind <laughs> you know? yeah you said at the beginning when you were initially sharing about your story that when you tried alcohol a little bit afterwards you realized like oh this is what's going to help me make me my true self now and from mm -hmm. what you're sharing it sounds like you've been able to debunk that myth and like flip the script to you to where you realize that alcohol was the one thing keeping you away from being your true self I think maybe that's what it is, because ever since I was, you know, younger, I've always wanted to kind of understand myself. Like I always crave that deep understanding of why I am the way that I am and how I can be better. So maybe that's what it was, that realization that, again, instead of alcohol adding to my life, it just, it you know, severely subtracted from it. So once I got that to click, it, it was less of a problem. 
Did you have like a routine in your day that you had to fill with new things? Like a, some people call it the witching hour, but did you have a time of the day where you used to drink that you had to replace a new activity in there? Definitely when I would leave work. That was really, really big for me. That was probably the biggest trigger because I would leave work, go to the store, you know, pick up alcohol and then get home and start drinking. So uh, for a while I was, you know, I was going out to see friends so I wouldn't come home. Then when uh, we adopted our dog, I started taking him on a lot of walks. If I couldn't do that, you know, I supplemented with food, as I said, for a while. So it would be like my like, quote unquote, reward for getting through the day. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was probably the t- uh, toughest time for me. It's just getting out. Yeah, getting yeah. out of the house. Getting out. And I do want to say, I mean, as someone who also has recovered from eating disorder, I hear a lot of people say that they, they do what you are sharing, that they um, switch to sugar or to food for comfort. And mm-hmm. although that can become a problem, I do want to let people know that the damage, okay. yeah, that it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that the damage with food is far less than then with right. alcohol far, and, far and, and, and far less. And if your intention truly is to not drink, you know, whatever it takes, we say that. And of course, not other drugs or substances, but right, right. Uh, <laughs> food as food used as a comfort and coping skills sometimes has a little bit of a more of a negative rep than it should. Um, like right. through doing a lot of therapy with like therapists that are experts on food and like this part of my recovery that is a little bit different than alcohol, like emotional eating isn't always bad. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to share that because a lot of people do ask like, oh my God, I, I want to quit drinking and I'm also not going to eat any sugar and I'm going to eat super clean. Like, yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, that, that's, that's so <laughs> hard for some people. But yeah, it's very, very hard because you're essentially cutting off all sources of, you know, your coping skills that have helped you in the past. So now you're leaving yourself high and dry, which could really go either way. I mean, uh, for me personally, it, it dragged me deeper into you know, yeah. a worse quality of life. But I would say also that one thing that I really got from the podcast and I think is huge, um, it kind of goes hand in hand with the um, the idea of gratitude, but just acceptance. Like uh, my inner dialogue for a very long time was very judgmental. So if, you know, if I ate something that wasn't good for me, I would beat myself up over it, you know, or, you know, I would try to quit drinking. I couldn't do it. I would, again, just beat myself up over the fact that I couldn't, you know, just get myself together and, you know, basically get it together. But by introducing this concept of just acceptance, it it changed everything uh, tremendously because I think that Paul at some point uh, mentioned that you kind of have to, you can't really beat yourself up over the past things that you've done while drinking because drinking at that time helped you overcome whatever it is that you were struggling with. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that, and it was true, like that for me was kind of my lifeline, or at least I thought it was, um, it did help me get through a very tough period in my life that I didn't have to keep kind of beating myself up over the fact that I, you know, drank as much as I did. Like, it got me through it. You know, I'm in a different place now. And that's okay. And that kind of self-acceptance has been just a relief because it allows you to be at ease in your own mind instead of constantly beating yourself up and, you know, having this very judgmental uh, inner dialogue, which for me would, again, just kind of result in me drinking again to just drown it out. Yeah, we are very, very harsh on ourselves. And I think that ultimately that that ends up projecting on the type of expectation we even have for other people. So it's I think it's one of the perks of this journey that isn't talked 
about a lot is not just like oh i'm i'm feeling better and my life is great but i think a lot of the like emotional healing and self-love like you really do start changing that inner narrative that a lot of us are conditioned to just be hard on ourselves and one of my favorite quotes is acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today and oh, I like that <laughs> it's been so helpful for me because i do feel like what we just talked about with with subscribing to doing this perfectly you know perfectionism is something that we struggle with a lot of us do right. and and it's hard because that it's a different for, form of white knuckling but i feel like when we're trying to do this perfectly and when we're resisting versus accepting this journey sucks and like that's not the point mm -hmm. we're supposed to enjoy the moment have fun and make it a new lifestyle where we are able to see the good and feel good versus continue beating ourselves up and continue being super judgmental with ourselves like there needs to be other changes other than just not drinking right right exactly i mean instead of beating yourself up for you know drinking be proud of yourself for even taking the steps and recognizing that you might need help or that you know this isn't working for you anymore that realization is huge because when you're living so like unconsciously i guess you know it's it's hard to even realize that so just by tweaking your thought patterns just a little bit i mean it makes a huge difference if you keep doing it daily what type of responses have you gotten from people in your life when you told them about this decision very supportive um i do occasionally run into people who question you know because I, I would say that you know I'll say, oh, I don't drink anymore. Some people might go like, oh, really? I mean, if they don't ask me about it, I don't really expand on it. <laughs> you know, I'll just say, yeah, like, I mean, I've been sober for over a year now. You know, it's been it's been great. But uh, everybody's been very supportive. Um, a lot of the people that I used to drink with, I mean, I'm not really in touch with anymore, but a couple of people have come out and said that they are struggling as well. So I, I've tried to point them to the, the resources that helped me because, again, I just think it's such a you know, great experience to be able to live your life again. It's not a pleasant experience to be stuck in the cycle of addiction. It's a very, very sad and like lonely, difficult place to be. But overall, everybody's been very supportive. So, and I'll, I mean, I feel like if you kind of admit the fact that you had a problem in the past, it makes people more comfortable with opening up about their own issues. So it allows you to help others as well. How cool that you now can redirect people and like offer advice support or even just a shoulder to lean on if they have yeah, a similar yeah, a similar story that that that's amazing that's impact that for me was such a big thing when i would even go to like these aa meetings just trying to connect with people because i just felt a lack of connection because i wasn't being you know honest about myself with other people so you can't really connect on a deep level with somebody if you're again hiding parts of yourself mm -hmm. so it's nice that people feel comfortable enough sharing that and hopefully just, you know, giving them some kind of comfort or, you know, hope that it does get better and that everything will be okay. I mean, that's, it's, it's huge. It, it's nice. You're doing such a great job, Sasha. You should be very oh, proud of yourself. <laughs> and we've reached the rapid fire round. So if you can right, answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? Yes. If you could talk to your younger self, what would you say? I wish I could just give her a hug and tell her everything's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, that you're the way you're feeling, you're not going to feel like this forever and that things really do get better. What's your yeah. favorite ice cream flavor, Sasha? Ooh, chocolate. Easy. <laughs> so good. Never enough chocolate. Never enough. What has recovery made possible for you? 
Wow. Uh, <laughs> just be peaceful. Just to live a life of peace, I would say. And uh, definitely to connect with others. Because I just feel so much more comfortable being vulnerable with other people, which allows them to be vulnerable with me. So we develop a better relationship. So, yeah. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? I would say stick with it. If you're really struggling, uh, it is possible to quit. And the fact that you're even trying to do this right now is huge. So just, you know, if one resource isn't working for you, just keep looking for another one. Try to talk to more people in recovery because you never know who's going to say something that will stick and make that, you know, switch flip for you. Before we depart, give listeners your own. You may have to say adios to Boo Zipline. Hmm. I would say that <laughs> you may have to say adios to booze if it's like 2 p.m. on a Tuesday and you're Googling, do I have a drinking problem with one eye closed <laughs> because you can't see the phone? <laughs> uh, Sasha, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate you. Take care. And I hope Thanks to so hear much. from you very soon. Take care, Sasha. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. Bye. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to give you a little challenge. Yes, I'm back on the challenge train. <laughs> Make a small inventory of your relationships. Which ones would you like to see changes in? Which new ones would you like to cultivate? Discovering new positive relationships is one of my favorite things of this journey. That and of course, making our current relationships healthier and more positive as well. Sometimes we forget that this decision is about much more than just quitting drinking. I hope that today's episode reminded you of that. A different layer of this journey, since there are so many of them. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator. When we choose to take care of the small things, the big things seem to take care of themselves. I love you guys. This is the experience you need. Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself. Life isn't as serious as my mind makes it out to be. Being must be felt.